Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Hold That Thought. I'm Rebecca King, and today I'm talking about an unlikely pairing, comic books and religion. My guest is Roshan Abraham, an assistant professor of classics and religious studies at Washington University in St. Louis. And he's also really immersed in the new field of comic studies. In his reading, he's often found overlaps between the two seemingly disparate areas. So where do we start when we talk about religion and comic books? In a funny way, we end up starting the same place we do when we start with the question of how do we study religion? Namely, we first have to define our topic of study and defining comics ends up being almost as sticky and at the same time as useful as trying to define religion. So there are numerous different definitions of religion out there and none of them are all-encompassing. But all of them are still useful in particular contexts. So for example, Durkheim, Emil Durkheim, defines religion, I'm paraphrasing here, as beliefs and practices that unite a group of people together into a community. So that definition focuses on both the idea that religion is a set of beliefs and that religion involves practices. But more importantly, it emphasizes that religion is a communal activity. It creates community. On the other hand, you have William James, whose definition of religion is something along the lines of religion is the feelings, the acts, the experiences people have in their solitude in relationship to the divine. Now that makes religion something very personal, focusing on the psychological element of religion. It's in some ways very much a Protestant type of definition of religion. Both are useful in particular contexts. The study of comics is much younger than the study of religion, but there still is this problem of definition. Will Eisner was not only one of the early comic artists and comic writers, but he was probably the pioneer of comic studies. He defined comics as sequential art. That's a great starting point, but then that also includes things like film. Film is images put in sequence, so film could be included in that definition. Also, picture books. Picture books are a sequential series of art. Well, Scott McCloud in the 90s offered a different definition. Scott McCloud defined comics as juxtaposed pictorial and other images in deliberate sequence intended to convey information or produce an aesthetic response in the reader. That definition seems much tighter than Eisner's definition of sequential art. But then that opens the door to thinking about any type of juxtaposed sequential images. So do we consider tapestries that have pictures that give a narrative a type of comic? Now for McLeod, he definitely thinks so. He says this definition allows us to think about the form more broadly. For me, the problem you get with a definition that includes all these things like, you know, you could argue that the Stations of the Cross is a type of sequential narrative that's graphically depicted. You could go so far as to say cave paintings are sequential narrative. But when we're talking about comics, we're talking about something that is a unique aesthetic expression of the 20th and 21st centuries. So I try to think of comics as 
static images which may or may not be complemented with words that are created to convey a narrative, convey information, or convey just an aesthetic response. And this is not like an official definition. You know, there are things that are left out in that kind of definition. For example, the far side and family circus comics, they're one page. So there's no series of images. Okay, so even just defining what we mean when we say comic books or religion can be tricky. From there, the two fields of study actually share a particular problem. When there are so many stories and so many sources, many of which contradict each other, what sticks? What becomes canon? With superhero comics, there is this problem of continuity which can be reframed as a problem of canon. The big two, Marvel and DC, have been rebooting their whole lines again and again, essentially erasing everything and starting from scratch. So the question becomes, we have 75 plus years of stories. Which one of those stories count? Which one of those stories are part of the canon of Batman? And it's not just a question of like, which stories are still true. Uh, In the very first Detective Comics, Bruce Wayne's parents are killed. So that part of the story is always there. That part of the story is canon. There have been different interpretations of who killed him. At one point it was this guy named Joe Chill. So that part gets changed, you know? So that's the continuity question. But then there's the other question of which Batman stories are important. You know, everyone would say Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One as part of the Batman canon. But there are you know, thousands of Batman stories so one author, Mark Wade, dealt with this by creating this idea of hypertime. And the idea of hypertime is that all of the stories count because ultimately they are just stories. So the Clark Kent who was played by George Reeves counts. The Clark Kent from Smallville counts. All of these stories count you know, and they all exist at the same time. So you could draw upon any of them at any time. Again, with a kind of comparison to religious studies, when we're doing biblical studies or when we're studying the New Testament or if we're studying early Christianity, all the apocryphal texts count because they help us reconstruct the history of early Christianity, even if it doesn't make it into the canon of the New Testament. Likewise, with comic studies, all of the stories count because all of them is another piece of data that we could use to study. Comic studies is a young enough field that there is no New Testament. There is no accepted canon of works that defines the field. And Professor Roshan Abraham says that those in comic studies are actively fighting back against the pressure to form one. With comic studies, there is this idea of a developing canon, which everyone in comic studies is really aware of and pushing up against. Because inevitably, when you teach a course on comics, it's like, well, you have to cover this, this, and this. You know, you have to read Will Eisner's Contract with God. You have to read Blankets. Definitely have to read Mouse, uh, Art Spiegelman's Mouse. So there is this idea that as this discipline is kind of growing, things are becoming canonized or becoming thought of as part of the canon, even though all the scholars are aware of the problems of the idea of canon and very, very self-conscious about this potential formation of canon. Aside from the similarities between the two fields of studies, 
The ties between religion and comics grows even stronger when you start looking at the stories and the characters. Even if you go back to the earliest days of the superhero comic, you can see some traces of religion. Superman Action Comics number one, you know, 1939, was not the first comic, was not even necessarily the first superhero comic, uh, but it was the start of something new. And the earliest superhero comics were dealing with almost mythic characters. For some, Superman is a retelling of the Jewish myth of Moses, or at least inspired by it. In the Superman comic, you have the story of an alien baby put on a shuttle by his parents, sent to Earth, where he grows up, takes on the name Clark Kent, and, as they say, fights for truth, justice, and the American way. In Moses, you have a baby put into a basket. Now, instead of going through space, he goes down a river, uh, and then he grows up to free his people. And Superman later is named Kal-El, which is Hebrew, and which means voice of God. So in one sense, if we're talking about comics and religion, religion is in the DNA of comics. Now, Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster, who created Superman, were Jews themselves who lived uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, and they stated their more direct influences were mythic heroes like Hercules and Samson, but they were also influenced by this new genre of pulp heroes. For example, Flash Gordon, a comic strip of the time, who had you know, special little costume that he wore, just like Superman. And since then, there have been reinterpretations of Superman. Superman Returns, Brian Singer's Superman Returns. There is definitely imagery of Superman as Jesus. And if you watch the trailers for the upcoming Batman versus Superman movie, there are images of a statue of Superman that says false God. And the image of Superman in the air coming down with the sun behind him and he's just a shadow gives this kind of angelic or Christ-like picture. Aside from the mythic and sometimes messianic figure of Superman, religion and comics are intertwined in a number of different titles and in a number of different ways, subtle or more obvious. For example, the superhero Thor is himself a god. And if we look beyond even just the characters, some comic books try and grapple with what religion means and is, like the popular series The Wicked and the Divine, which compares celebrity and divinity, worship and fandom, as ancient gods are reincarnated as pop stars. Then you have Neil Gaiman's Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader, which considers Batman as a myth or mythic character who becomes timeless, like Hercules. In Punk Rock Jesus, which is a newer title, scientists use DNA from the Shroud of Turin to clone Jesus and make a reality show about his life. And I have to mention the new Miss Marvel series, which made headlines because the normally blonde hair, blue-eyed heroine, in her latest incarnation, became a Muslim Pakistani girl. And this change in demographics really upset a lot of people. And this is really just to name a few examples. I mean, the point is that there are lots of different ways to think about religion and comics. You could think about the superhero as a mythic character. You could think about the religious background of some of these early comic book creators. For example, Jerry Siegel, Joel Schuster, both Jewish. 
Will Eisner. Actually, a lot of the early comic book creators were Jewish. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, who are responsible for the Avengers and most of the Marvel superheroes. They were both Jewish also. Stan Lee specifically made uh, The Thing in the Fantastic Four Jewish, and he seems to have been modeled upon the golem, which is a creature that protects the Jewish people. You could also look at specific religious themes covered in comics. For example, something as obvious as R. Crumb's Book of Genesis, which is an illustration of the Book of Genesis, or something like Preacher by Garth Ennis, which is really has this kind of deep theological reflection about the absence of God. It's a large gamut of things that you could talk about when you're talking about religion and comics. Many thanks to our guest today, Roshan Abraham, an assistant professor of classics and religious studies at Washington University in St. Louis. And thanks to all of you too for tuning in to Hold That Thought. If you're interested in this topic and are interested in some of the titles we talked about today, you can find a full list of reading recommendations from Roshan on our site, holdthatthought.wustl.edu. And we want to hear from you. Join the conversation with us on Facebook or Twitter to share your own recommendations or your thoughts on religion and comics. <laughs>